Today on the Political Theory of Everything, we will be giving you your daily dose of news as well as a discussion into the racial tensions with law enforcement. For our first article today, it's from the Daily Wire. The title is Study Finds Face Masks Didn't Slow Spread of COVID-19. So this is the first ecological study of state mask mandates and their use to include data from the winter case spike has found that widespread mask wearing likely didn't slow the spread of COVID-19. So this study is from the University of Louisville and it used data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and it found that 80% of US states ma mandated masks during the COVID-19 pandemic. But while mandates induced greater mask compliance, they did not predict lower growth rates when community spread was low or high. Uh, the study also found that mass mandates and use are not associated with lower SARS-CoV-19 spread among U.S. states. So um, this is from the study, quote, Our findings do not support the hypothesis that SARS-CoV-2 transmission rates decrease with greater public mask use, end quote. And that is according to Town Hall's Spencer Brown. Uh, that Well, it was reported by him. Uh, the study noted that masks may promote social cohesion as rallying symbols during a pandemic, but risk compensation can also occur. Um, prolonged mask use greater than four hours a day promotes facial al alkalinization and inadvertently encourages dehydration, which in turn can enhance barrier breakdown and bacterial infection risk. Um, it just kind of, the study also goes through the negative effects of masks. And here's another quote from them. In summary, mass mandates and use were poor predictors of COVID-19 spread in U.S. states. Case growth, growth was independent of mandates at low and high rates of community spread, and mask use did not predict case growth during the summer or fall winter waves. Strengths of our study include using two mass metrics to evaluate association with COVID-19 growth rates, measuring normalized case growth in mandate and non-mandate states, at comparable times to quantify the likely effect of mandates and deconvolving the effect of mask use by examining case growth rates in states with variable mask use. So basically that giant paragraph is just saying that they don't see a big difference between the mask mandate states and the states without mask mandates or the states with mask mandates and the states without mask mandates and that whether it was a small amount of COVID cases or a large amount of COVID cases, the masks did not make a difference. And this kind of gives a glimpse to our previous podcast about the, the COVID-19 responses and the lack of evidence that they worked. And I mean, it kind of shows we're here a year later and they're, I mean, it was supposed to be quote unquote 15 days to slow the spread. And here we are. A, a few more days than 15 days later still it's being just told few. just a few days know, yeah just oh well if you wear the mask we'd be done it's like well i have been for over a year now like tell me something new but yeah. it also talks about how the the fully vaccinated thing from the cdc how if you're fully vaccinated you can be in an indoor and outdoor activity without having to worry about a mask which is a big change and i know they're also saying that now, suddenly, if you had COVID-19, you count as part of the immunized. Like, previously, that wasn't. Yeah, you had to be vaccinated, you, even if you got... You're saying your antibodies weren't good enough. Yeah, but now they changed their mind again, 
And if you had COVID-19, that counts as your immunization. So that's new. So if you had COVID-19, looks like you don't have to worry about the COVID-19 vaccine if you don't want to. I wonder if, because um, I know earlier this year they were talking about you could get COVID uh, like multiple times and they were like still worried about like getting it a second time or a third time because they were saying something about your antibodies not being sufficient, um, which I don't know how all that works. But basically uh, the idea was that it wasn't like scarlet fever where it's like, you get it, and then you can't get it again. It was more like the flu, where you could get it, you know, every year or so. But um, perhaps the new studies are showing that it's, you know, more like, say, smallpox or something. Yeah. You know? Or you can get it. You can get COVID-19 again, but it doesn't affect you the same way it would the first time. Yeah, because you've built the resistance. Because you've built the resistance like, to it. Again, smallpox or something like that. Yeah, because that's where... I was listening to someone, and when they were a kid, the chickenpox vaccine wasn't there yet. Like, that didn't exist yet. So it was like their school or something required them to get chickenpox before they could come to school. Because that, that was their way of getting immunized, because they didn't have a vaccine. So they had to get chickenpox, and then they was like, okay, you've been immunized, come on over to school. So yeah. I wonder if that's kind of... Get it, quarantine, and then come back. Yeah, exactly. So that might be, that might be what happens now. But anyways, on to our next article. From Business Insider this week, uh, Marco Rubio, the senator from Florida, has come out and uh, began speaking against the proposed January 6th commission. Um, uh, a resolution for the commission was passed by the House, um, and R Marco Rubio said that it's a partisan joke, uh, which is really more about controlling votes in the 2022 election, or rather seats. Uh, instead of actually being useful. Uh, he claims that the Department of Justice has already made great strides uh, in taking action against those who rioted on January 6th and caused lots of damage, put the Capitol in danger, uh, which they have. That is indeed accurate. And he also says that what the January 6th Commission will actually do is cause division uh, across party lines instead of sort of unifying around a central goal because of the, uh, the unanimous requirements to subpoena. Um, it's just a breeding ground for liberal stories, he says, to paint Republicans as the bad guys because one Republican on the commission says that they don't want to sub subpoena someone and then all of a sudden they're the bad guys obstructing justice when in fact they might have uh, a very good reason for doing that that uh, he also says that, again, it feels redundant as the Department of Justice. This is their job, and they're really taking it, care of it pretty well so far. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, B? Um, it's just the whole January 6th thing was certainly a weird event to happen, and it's, it was certainly wrong. I, mean, that's, that's, I think everyone agrees on that, that the January 6th event was wrong. But I also think that it was painted in a weird light meaning like it, it was like they a lot of people use it as proof like all republicans are bad you know a rab that's the new all republicans are bad but i i think that um yeah the commission would be bad because and i know that mccarthy didn't like it because they would only look at the january 6th and they wouldn't look at any of the other riots that were happening over the over the summer 
Mm -hmm. And so, by the way, McCarthy's a representative from California, for those who don't know, but um, he's the uh, House Minority Leader. And so, anyways, uh, he didn't like that because it only highlighted the one event when they he thinks that they should be investigating all of them. But I do think, yeah, the January 6th commission would have ended up just being a divisive thing instead of them just being able to investigate, just overall allow the intelligence agencies mm-hmm. to investigate it. And I know that intelligence agency, agencies have actually been getting people's, like, credit card and debit card records to find out if they were in the D.C. area during that time. And then based off of that, they're making an arrest. They've, yeah, they've already made arrests, accusations, uh, the prosecution has been starting. The Department of Justice has been working very hard to catch the people who did these things, and they've been doing a good job of it. Um, of course, it's kind of ridiculous to assume that they catch everyone. Uh, you never are able to get everyone that partakes in a riot. It's just gonna it's a mass mob of people, especially because there were thousands of people that showed up to the rallies in D.C. Hundreds of thousands. Yeah, whether it be the BLM rallies or the uh, <clears throat> Trump rally, tons of people showed up to the rallies. And really a small segment of that raided the Capitol building. So if you're finding out who all was in D.C. during that time, right, you're going to find a lot more people than are actually guilty. And then you have to sort through, find which ones you think are likely to be guilty and then you have to find which ones are actually guilty out of that. And then, you know, for determining actually guilty, you've got to have actual proof that those people actually did anything. Because if you can prove that they were there on January 6th, that's not enough. Even if you can prove that they were at the Capitol at some point, that's not enough to, you know, charge someone with something, throw them in prison. Yeah. And that's that's where, I mean, on one half of the the Capitol, there were the people going in and breaking into the Capitol. And on the other side, they had no idea what was happening. Like, they were just sitting there, like, singing the National Anthem. I don't know. They were just, they were just sitting there on the steps and everything. And on the other side, they were breaking in. And one side was, you know, full of riots. And the other side was just sitting there. And they had zero idea. One side, the, the side that was just sitting there had no idea at all that the other side was breaking in. Nobody in D.C. knew about what was going on at the Capitol building yeah. until after everyone outside of D.C. knew because it was on the news. Yeah. All right, if you were there, uh, if you were at the BLM rally or if you were at the Trump rally, you probably didn't even know about the the riot until I'm sure also, you got home. I'm sure, yeah, you all, I mean, yeah, I, I, I was, I was, uh, I remember just seeing all of a sudden on, on the news a little bloop popped up and it says, it said, like, five people broke into the Capitol at first. And out of nowhere, all of a sudden, you just see it's, like, 100, 200, 300. It just yeah. starts skyrocketing. But it was, it was an interesting thing to watch. But on to the next article from Fox News. Uh, Biden ATF nominee supports ban on AR-15. Um, President Biden's nominee to head the Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, which is the ATF Bureau, uh, David Chipman said during Wednesday that he is in favor of a ban on AR-15 rifles. Um, uh, Chipman told uh, Senator Ted Cruz from Texas, quote, with respect to the AR-15, I support a ban as, ha- as has been presented in a Senate bill and supported by the president, end quote. Um, 
Uh, that's where Cruz responded and said that it is one of, if not the most popular rifle in America. It's also used, the AR-15 is also used by the ATF's SWAT team, and it is a particularly lethal weapon. And um, he talks about how regulating it and other particularly lethal weapons he advocates for. And as the ATF, as ATF director, if he's confirmed, he would simply enforce the laws on the book. And since there's no ban on it yet, so he wouldn't, he wouldn't extend that out to a ban because that's not what the law says. He just was saying that he supports one. Um, the AR-15 is mainly popular with hunters, but it's been used in a number of high-profile shootings, which is where it gains its infamy, I guess. And um, uh, it also, uh, he, Chipman was also asked what exactly an assault weapon is. He was asked to define it, and Chipman said that was up to Congress because the assault weapon isn't actually a type of gun. It's, it's a manufactured term. And he, Chipman basically wouldn't define it using his own definition, but he did say that ATF defined it as, quote, any semi-automatic rifle capable of accepting a detachable magazine above the caliber of 22, which would include the 223, which is largely the AR-15 round, end quote. So what are your thoughts on this? Well, uh, quite frankly, I watched some of the, the C-SPAN of it, and it was pretty ridiculous. Um, he couldn't give a straight answer concerning assault weapons. Uh, and the fact of the matter is, assault weapons don't exist. Like my uh, compatriot here said, assault weapon is a manufactured term. Uh, it's used by people who want to get rid of guns and eliminate the Second Amendment to spread fear and terror among, you know, uneducated Americans. And I don't mean uneducated as in uh, ignorant or stupid people. I just mean people who aren't familiar with the subject at hand. Um, now, there is an assault gun. Assault gun is actually a defined term. An assault gun is any uh, howitzer, artillery, or anti-tank gun that is mounted in a tracked vehicle uh, that is armored. So basically a tank without a turret. Um, yeah, those don't exist anymore because they've been outmoded. And that's not even remotely what these people are uh, trying to get at. So whenever they use assault gun, they're, again, being incorrect, uh, as they are with assault weapon. Now, assault rifle... Um, is generally undefined term. Uh, some gun historians define it as the uh, any rifle which uses an intermediate round and can fire three-round burst or higher rates of fire. Uh, and the only reason that this term really exists is just to clarify uh, the change in modern warfare really at the end of World War II uh, as we shifted into a different kind of uh, fighting style. And the word assault rifle actually comes from the German word, the uh, Sturmgewehr, which is a storm rifle, is the literal translation of that word. Uh, and that was fits the definition I just gave, an intermediate round uh, that could shoot fully automatic. And so that's where we get the term. It's not a real thing. It's not different than a rifle. Uh, it's just a term to help us define the change in warfare.
So I guess we're on to our final article for today before we go into our discussion. Indeed we are. So uh, our final article today is from CNN uh, about in the Senate, there's another motion to remove the filibuster. And uh, this is something that's come up time and time again. The filibuster can be a really quite a hindrance to passing legislation. And there are lots of people in favor of removing the filibuster so that Congress can get more done. There are lots of people in favor of keeping the filibuster. The main dividing line is because keeping the filibuster there and keeping the uh, unanimous vote to, uh, you know, vote on whether or not the legislation passes or not to bring it to the floor for that vote prevents either side from gaining too much uh, power and too much ability to just pass legislation. And why there's this difference between wanting that and wanting to legislation to come out quickly is uh, we don't want a stagnant and useless government, but on the other hand, we don't want a government that can just pass laws as they will it. Um, and the filibuster is really just a way for the minority to be able to... It is. It's, it's all about the balance it's, of power. Exactly. It's because if the minority... The minority then would never be able to stop the bill. Correct. Like the that's majority the, would the just fear. simply that's pass on... And that's lots why... Lots of people don't want to get rid of the filibuster. And that's where, even though the Senate's 50-50, and Vice President Kamala Harris would be the breaking tie for that, there's, there's Democrats who... Um, like Manchin from West Virginia, who are like, I'm not getting rid of the partially because he wants to be able to get reelected, and he's the only he's I think the only Democrat in West Virginia for, currently. And so, in order to keep himself in the Senate, he has to represent both sides. So he's he's one of them that leans towards the middle. So he right now and maybe a couple other Democrats are the ones holding back or holding on for the Republicans. And I guess maybe in another another term, it'll be for the Democrats if it swings to the other way, where Republicans hold the majority. But they're holding on to the filibuster for the Republicans, at least for the Republicans for now. But the minority, that's the idea of the filibuster, is the minority is still able to to stop a law and the majority can't just run over them unlimited, like with unlimited power passing all the laws they want. <laughs> yeah, and... Another reason that this is a good thing, it protects the minority, but also when power switches again, it doesn't mean that you can just remove all the laws that the previous administration has passed. Imagine if every four years we just passed a new version of the law, right? So abortion is legal this four years, abortion is illegal this four years, abortion is legal again. You know, you don't have the right to bear arms, you have the right to bear arms again. Yeah. Right, and it'd be I mean, that's assuming that you know, the government has the ability to grant your rights and that, you know, but that's a different conversation. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so there's a back and forth about whether or not the filibuster should be removed from the Senate right now. Uh, this is a conversation that's been going on a long time. Uh, there are lots of people in favor of it. There are lots of people who, you know, disagree with this notion. And it really comes down to, do you want your government to be passing laws all the time or do you want a more controlled system where the minority isn't pushed over? But that concludes our news for today. So we'll move on to our discussion about the tensions between, or the racial tensions between law enforcement and mainly 
African Americans, but I guess minorities as a whole, really, but mainly towards African Americans, the racial tensions there. And we'll just go through the three main ones that most people know, like names of, and those would be George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Jacob Blake. And so we'll start off with uh, George Floyd. And so he was killed basically a year ago from, let's see, today's Thursday, so 367 days ago. Uh, when he was killed, because his one year, the one year anniversary of it was this past Tuesday, and that's why Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, met with the Floyd family. But anyways, to start off in his, with his situation, the idea of us, these three, we're just going to go through, in a way, the camera footage. We're not going to try to add any of our side facts or something. We're just going to go through all things that you can search up on your own and verify. That's the idea of this, just lay out the facts. And so to start off with George Floyd, it starts in his car. And the door is open, and before anything's even happening, George Floyd's already saying that he cannot breathe. He's saying, I can't breathe. And who is in the car next to him? Uh, he's actually with a drug dealer at this point. And he's got, got a warrant out for him. And uh, I don't know about the drug dealer if he had a warrant on him at the time. But George Floyd was certainly the subject of a warrant. Uh, I believe it was suspected counterfeiting, which is, you know, something that he had been uh, connected to beforehand. And then also, um, in previous times in his life, events in his life, he broke into a home with a group of, of, of men, but he broke into a home and held a pregnant mother, a gun to her stomach, at gunpoint. And his group was basically asking for drugs, like where drugs were and stuff like that. And so he certainly had a, a criminal history, but back to where we are. So he's in the car, says he can't breathe, he's with his drug dealer, and now he's outside of the car. As you can see from the video, it looks like... His, the cop's knee was on his neck, which it might have been for a small portion of it, but for the majority of it, as ruled in court, they actually say that for most of it, it was on his upper back. And the coroner actually said that there was no damage to George Floyd's neck, which would usually come with something where a person's knee is on their back neck, suffocating them. He, the coroner said there was no, there appeared no bruising, nothing on the back of his neck. And apparently it was mainly on his upper back. And then also the coroner even said that if he didn't know the situation prior to George Floyd coming in, he would have just said George Floyd overdosed. I mean, that's, that's all he would have said. He would, just, would have just been an overdose. And nothing about nothing that the cop did appeared to him until he was told. And so, like we said, I mean, he's on the ground saying he can't breathe, but even previous to being on the ground, he's sitting in the car saying that he can't breathe. And so I, kn I know that the cop was deemed guilty, but I also know that they're looking for a mistrial. And so I think they're going to they're going to they're going to get tried again because of Maxine Waters, uh, the threat that she made indirectly saying you know they'll find them the 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 jury and i know that there's lots of threats towards the jury and that they were 
they were publicly known. Like they weren't, they weren't, you know, their names weren't hidden for safety, that they were publicly known who the jury was, which obviously is a, a pretty large threat to those on the jury. There's also a member of the jury who lied about his connection to the issue. Uh, he's actually a Black Lives Matter supporter uh, and an activist is really why that's uh, pertinent. He'd been to marches before and made social media posts about it, so he was uh, definitely not an unbiased party. So it'll be interesting to see how this turns out. Um, I guess from yeah. the video, we can definitely tell that the officer is uh, not rough. Direct. Yeah, rough to an extent that uh, he needs to be punished. But we'll see with this new trial whether or not they determine he actually killed. If he was the cause of that, which I believe the coroner said that he wasn't, but I don't remember exactly. Um, now on to Brianna Taylor. I'm sure you all remember this case. The Kentucky police go to her uh, door. Louisville, specifically. Yeah, yeah, Louisville. They go to her door and they um, they knock and they announce themselves. They attempt to get someone to open the door and everything. Nobody responds. I don't know exactly how long they were knocking and announcing previous to entrance. I don't remember. Um, uh, it's unknown to me. And time. nobody answers. So they, in somehow, whether they knock it down or whatever, the door is open. They open the door to her, um, mm -hmm. her apartment, I believe, correct? It was an apartment. Yeah. They open the door to her apartment. And when that happens... Her boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, starts firing at them. A, sh a cop gets hit in the leg. They fire back. In total, 32 shots were fired. Um, in 32 shots back and forth, uh, Brianna Taylor gets hit by one of the bullets. Yeah, she's hit by six in the middle of the gunfight. Uh, pretty tragic. She uh, ended up dying from her wounds. Um, the officer who was wounded, he eventually recovered. Uh, and then in the aftermath of the case, uh, none of the cops were charged with murder. Uh, it's a really terrible accident. And why this isn't murder is because uh, they had a warrant for, uh, a search warrant for Breonna Taylor's house with her name on it and the name of her ex-boyfriend, who's a known drug dealer, and they were collecting evidence on um Brianna Taylor, the reason they were searching her home is they believed that he was, uh, she was working with them. They had evidence that she was uh, dealing some drugs. Uh, I believe Jamarcus Glover was the name of her ex-boyfriend. Uh, Kenneth Walker, her current boyfriend, opened fire on the police after they announced themselves and tried to enter the building. Um, the charges of attempted murder have been dropped against him as the courts determined that it was reasonable self-defense. You know, someone breaking in the middle of the night, uh, you open fire on them to defend yourself and your girlfriend. Uh, that's what it was from his perspective. And so they determined that it was reasonable self-defense. Uh, the charges have been dropped of attempted murder. Um, one of the officers I know is being charged with uh, wanton endangerment as uh, in the gunfight, several of the shots he fired specifically him uh, entered another apartment entered as well say yeah yeah and that's where the the part of this isn't questioning whether it's tragic or not because i mean any any of them would be but the question is is this a racially motivated because that's what that's what the claim was it was a racially because she's 
because they, I guess, were black. That's why they shot. But I don't, I don't see where anywhere Brianna Taylor's death was a racially motivated event. No, it wasn't. It wasn't even murder. It was again, is a tragic accident. Uh, Kenneth Walker opened fire on the police, and they returned fire. No, they both thought they were defending themselves against an attacker, and the situation uh, to expect them to not return fire would be ridiculous. Yeah. Um, to expect. You know, only one of them to return fire would also be rather ridiculous. You know, they're supposed to be helping each other, covering each other. They're all police officers. And it's very understandable from Mr. Walker's perspective. You know, if if you wake up in the middle of the night and you have a bunch of men storming into your house, you know. I mean, just banging on your door even. You would be yeah, like, what the? <laughs> you don't, you know, if, if he didn't hear them announce themselves and he was woken up by the door being broken open, it's very understandable that he would you yeah. know, open fire on them in self-defense. And then as far as uh, Miss Taylor goes, again, tragic accident. You've got a warrant out for you, uh, not for your arrest, but for a search. So from her perspective, she's not on the run or anything. Yeah. Right. That's where people always talk about the responsibility of a cop, but also there's a responsibility as a citizen. I mean... She was involved in drugs to some extent. And they had they had evidence of that, which is obviously why they were going for the search. That's where there's this responsibility as a, as a citizen, which leads into the next one. But there's responsibility as a citizen to abide by the laws that are above you, which leads into Jacob Blake. Um, with his situation, he had resisted uh, arrest after uh, they got called to the house for a domestic Domestic abuse. Domestic abuse, some domestic uh, uh, turmoil. And they, they first actually tase him. So he gets tased. That doesn't work. And he proceeds to run around the car, which, again, resisting arrest. And that's where the citizen responsibility comes. If you are, first of all, you shouldn't have broken the law. But second of all, if you did break the law, it's your, your next responsibility is to obey the authorities above you. And... and as a citizen, you have that responsibility. As the cops have their responsibility, you have your responsibility. Mm-hmm. And it's not its not like one person has a responsibility. Everyone in the situation has responsibilities. But anyways, he runs around the car, and he goes to grab something. And it's revealed later it's a knife, but to the cops, all they know is that he's going to grab something. And he had escaped cops previously, and the kids, there was, there was kids inside of the car. So in a cop's mind, you're thinking, okay, well, even if he's not grabbing anything, he's going to get into the car and there's going to be a chase and there's these kids in the back. What's going to happen to the kids if gunfire starts or if the car crashes? That's your first, that's your yeah. first thing you're going, there's kids in the car, he's going for the car. Your second thing is, okay, he's going to grab something in the car. What is he grabbing? You don't know what he's grabbing. And then, and then you, you recognize that this guy has run away from police before. So you you sit here, you're like, okay, well, I, my life is probably on the line, and the cops fire. And they fire, I think, seven shots. Seven shots. Seven shots. And he ends up surviving, but this idea that it was a racially, the only reason they shot was because he was black. But the thing is, they tased him previously. Their first reaction wasn't to shoot. They tased him previously. It didn't work. So what are you left with? And if he's grabbing at something, you don't know if it's a gun. He could just turn around and shoot. I mean, you you have to react. 
Because if you wait to go, oh, let's see what he has, he's he's going to turn around, and if it's a gun, well, that's it for you, or at least someone else. I mean, once again, it's kind of a self-defense thing for the cops. And it just brings back that idea of responsibility. Both sides have a responsibility. Cops to enforce the law and you to follow the law, and if you don't follow the law, to to listen to the authorities above you. And if you don't resist arrest at all, they aren't going to do anything. 99.99% of the time, nothing bad is going to happen if you don't resist arrest and you just listen to them. And so, uh, once again, an unfortunate event, of course, but it, it's, 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 really, uh, it's really one side's main fault that this happened. Yeah. And again, it's... It's about that citizen's responsibility to comply with authority, right? So obviously you have your rights and you shouldn't be stepped on and pushed around by, you know, the people in power. But if they have, you know, a, they have to have a reason to arrest you, if they either have a warrant or if they're called to the scene, they have to prove that they have, you know, reason to arrest you. But once, once they have those things... Uh, you have to comply. You have to comply with the arrest. And he did have a warrant for his arrest. Yeah, so, I mean, all, for all these cases, they have some form of a warrant. Yep. Right. And his was uh, third-degree sexual assault, <coughs> trespassing, and disorderly conduct in connection with domestic abuse. So it wasn't like they just showed up and had no idea who this guy was. <laughs> this is a known, known violent man. And again, just for all the cases overall... If you comply with the authority, that's not going to be, like... It's not the end of the world if you get arrested, right? If, if you're falsely arrested, that... Like, there's going to be recompense. You can... Like, we've seen with a bunch of these cases, the officers who acted, like, incorrectly, or, you know, something went wrong, they're charged with things. You know, people in authority are held accountable. And even for a false arrest there is some sort of uh what's the word i'm looking for actually I'll just use the same one recompense there's yeah consequence uh, consequence there you go there are consequences for that and so i think that's one of the big dangers about all this uh posturing all this showing of the stories in a special racial light uh, it's creating division and also fear because you shouldn't be afraid to let the police arrest you if they have a warrant for you or if they have uh a, like if they have reasonable cause to arrest you and what this what this is doing it's telling people that oh the police are out here they're just murdering these people now these all of these people were they all, I mean Jacob Blake didn't even die yeah but all of these people were doing something that they weren't supposed to do and then refused to fully comply. Yeah, and, and the, for those wondering, a third-degree sexual assault is when someone over the age of 18 has sexual intercourse with someone un, uh, over the age of, of 14 but under the age of 16, so basically a 14- to 16-year-old. Yeah, that's... And that's, 
But that was one of the charges, not necessarily guilty, because once again, it's innocent till proven guilty, and that's something to remember, and that's right. something that's fading, what he's being arrested for. So. That's something fading away in America is the idea of innocent till proven guilty, which is something everyone needs to remember. That's what it is. It's innocent till proven guilty, mm-hmm. and anyways, that concludes our our three cases. Uh, you can reach out to our email. It is the informal informants at gmail dot com for any questions, ideas, or anything of the sorts. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this video. We hope it was helpful for you, and we hope you join us tomorrow. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your Thursday and a wonderful rest of your week. Thanks for listening.